Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm only going to read one verse. It's a verse that has interested me for a long time. That will be our text. And then we're going to go back to the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, simply says this, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. I have a very simple question, and that's the title of the message this morning. Are you building an ark? Noah built an ark to the saving of his house. Are you building an ark? Have you built an ark to the saving of your house? We've seen things occur in this country and in the world, not just in our lifetime, but more recently, we've seen things happen that we never imagined would happen in this world, in this nation, folks. We've seen so-called Christian homes breaking up at the rate of 50%, one out of every two marriages among Christians ending in divorce. We've seen the promotion of pornography in this nation. We've seen the promotion of perversion in our nation as I have never imagined seeing it before. Amen. We have seen the premeditated murder of unborn babies and abortion, all in the name of a woman's freedom of choice. We've seen a nation that is so beset by the drug problem that the great majority of people today seem to be using drugs. And I don't mean over-the-counter or prescription drugs, illegal, illicit drugs. There's a particular program that I do like to watch, and it I've told you about it. It's called On Patrol Live, where they just ride with the, the police camera, a real-time showing of riding with police officers. And it just seems to me that 90% of the people that they stop have drugs on them or are on drugs while they're driving. We're a nation that has a drug problem. We've seen businesses shut down during COVID. We've seen churches closed by state governments. I know good pastor friend up in Illinois had issues with being able to meet during COVID and churches out in California had that problem. Thankfully, we had a governor in this state who said a church is an essential part of our lives and so churches are going to remain open and I'm thankful for that. We've seen stolen elections. We've seen socialists and communists put into political offices in this country. We have seen people in political office side with those who are our sworn enemies and who are enemies to Christians, especially. And what some people call a post-Christian America, they say has come, but I'm not ready to give it up, folks. Amen. But with all that, I believe there's something coming to this world and to the United States, which as Hebrews 11 says, which we've not yet seen, and then in our wildest dreams, we could never imagine. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the apostle John said, Little children, it is the last time. Now, if it was the last time 2,000 years ago when John wrote that, folks, how much, and I know this isn't a word, but how much laster is it today, right? It is the last time, and as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. But listen to what he says. Even now there are many Antichrists, 
whereby we know that this is the last time. There are many in our world today, there were in John's day, there are many in our world today who are against Christ, who would substitute things for Christ, and they are a type and a picture of the one antichrist who is coming on the scene and folks I believe is alive today. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he is. We don't know where he lives. But he, I believe he is alive and living today. And he is going to bring his one world government, his one world financial system, and his universal one world religion to the scene one of these days. John says, again, that antichrist and antichrists are in the world. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. We began in Sunday school this morning. We finished on studying what we believe about the Bible. We began studying what we believe about God. And do you believe, do you realize that most of the world, seven, eight billion people, most of the world, neither knows nor believes in the God that we know and serve, folks. He is foreign to them. So we need to be reaching out to our loved ones. We need to be reaching out to our friends, our neighbors, even strangers with the gospel because there are some strange things coming upon this earth. Again, things that we could not imagine and when they happen, folks are going to be taken by surprise. God told Noah, like we read in our text, there's some things coming, Noah, that you've never seen before, that you've never thought about, that you've never imagined. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13, and you can just turn back there because that's where we're going to spend a lot of time this morning. In Genesis the 6th chapter and in the 13th verse of that 6th chapter, look at what God told Noah. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Sounds like today, doesn't it? For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now why did God say something like that to Noah? Why would God say after he had created, and I believe recreated this earth after the casting down of Satan, why would he then say, I'm going to wipe it out? I'm going to destroy every living thing upon the earth. We'll just go back to verse 1 of Genesis chapter 6. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also has flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Now you get the picture. This is not, I know there's a popular idea in the world and even in the religious world that the daughters of men marrying with the sons of God is men marrying with angels. Folks, that's baloney. Amen. That's hogwash. That is not according to the angels do not intermarry with humans. Okay? But the sons of God is a reference to the descendants of Seth. Now, who was Seth? Seth was God's replacement for Abel. You remember Abel and Cain offered sacrifices to God, and because Cain's wasn't accepted and Abel's was, Cain was jealous, and he killed his brother. And so in Genesis chapter 4, if you want to look back there, verse 26, it says, And to Seth, 
to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Now the idea of that phrase is men began to be called by the name of God. Men began to identify with God. I'm a child of God. If you're saved, you're a child of God. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, when men began to identify themselves with God. The daughters of men is a reference to those who were born to the descendants of Cain. Cain is a picture of those who want to be saved by works. He's a picture of the lost world. And so what we have is we have God's people intermarrying with the lost world. And then violence fills the earth. And as God's people, you know, there used to be a real popular song years ago called One Bad Apple Don't Spoil the Whole Bunch. I got news for you. You can take a rotten apple and put it in a barrel of good apples and what's going to happen after a while? The good apples are going to be spoiled. They're going to be rotten too. I have seen in my years in the ministry some of our dear young ladies decide that they want to marry this old boy. He's not saved. He wouldn't give God the time of day. But, you know, we'll, we'll get married and then I'll get him into church. You know what happens? Normally, he gets her out of church. Amen. She turns her back on serving the Lord. I've seen that happen in churches that I pastor and to young ladies that I have pastored. And what happens is when the sons of God intermarried with the daughters of men, they begin to go away from God and they begin to turn their backs on God so much so. And I think we can see it in our world today that we have so many people who profess Christ as Savior who live just like the lost world. The majority of the members of this church say, you're getting bold, preacher. Time to be bold, folks. The majority of the members of this church live like the lost world, especially on a Sunday. You know how I know? Look around you. We got a whole lot more members than people here today. And see, lost people don't care whether they go to church or whether they don't go to church. But look at verse 8 of Genesis chapter 6. I love that word, but, in the scriptures. God says, I'm going to wipe out everything but Noah. I love that. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. God's going to destroy the earth, every living thing on the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes. Now, why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Well, just look at verse 9. It says, these are the generations of Noah... Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Noah was a saved man who lived like a saved man. That's what it's saying. He lived like a child of God ought to live, and so God had grace and had mercy upon Noah and upon his family. Can you think of anybody else in the scriptures where it says he walked with God? Enoch. It says in chapter 5 that Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. A little girl was talking about that one time. She said, well, Enoch and God used to go on these long walks together. And one day God just said to Enoch, you're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just go home with me? I sort of like that, you know. <laughs> Who was Enoch? Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. Okay. 
So here we have a family of faithfulness to God. We have a family of people serving God. And when God says, I'm going to wipe out all living things on the earth, Noah finds grace. And God chooses Noah to live through the flood and then to replenish life up on the earth. Because that's what he told them. Go forth and multiply and replenish the life on the earth. Listen, I don't care how old you are, whether you're a parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, or whatever you, don't you dare say, my life will not matter to future generations. Amen. It does. I'm thankful that I had parents that chose to serve God and live for God and bring us up in a Christian home. And because of Noah's faithfulness to God, he's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. That's a chapter that many call God's hall of the faithful, the Bible's hall of faith, or whatever you want to call it. It is a list of those who faithfully serve God. Noah gets one verse in that chapter. There's a bunch of verses in that chapter. Noah gets one verse. But it says so much to us today. When God said to Noah, there's something coming you've never seen before, Noah believed God. And Noah responded with obedience to God. The first thing I want you to notice back in Hebrews chapter 11, it says that Noah moved with fear. Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear. Now I'm going to point this out right quickly. Fear is a great motivator. Fear will get you to do some things you wouldn't normally do. I'll go back to the illustration I used a couple of weeks ago. If we were on an airplane and somebody came up and said, put this parachute on, this airplane's going down, you're going to have to jump out. I bet you'd put the parachute on, wouldn't you? I have never wanted to jump out. of. Well, one time I had a cousin that used to skydive and then he broke an ankle and I didn't want to skydive anymore. But other than that, I've never really wanted to jump out of an airplane. But if somebody told me it's going down, it's going to crash, and if you're going to survive, put this parachute on and jump out, I'd do that, folks, and I think you would too. We're still in hurricane season. What happens when they say there's a hurricane approaching Florida or it's in the Gulf approaching the southern coast of the U.S.? What do those people down there do? They board up their houses and most of them head north. Why? Fear. There's a storm coming. What do we do around here when they sound the tornado sirens? We'll go out and look. That's what we do around here. <laughs> I have a nephew that did that. He stood there just standing under the, it, it was a funnel cloud. It wasn't a tornado because it wasn't on the ground. Standing under the funnel looking at it and commenting on it. He videoed it. But most normal people, okay. <laughs> They sound no sirens. They're looking for a place. And I've looked for a place in this building where we could all gather for one game. And I don't know where we'd go. I guess we'd get in one of the hallways and shut all of the doors to those hallways. But we go for a place of shelter when that happens. And I would dare to say that the motivating factor in most of our lives who know Christ the Savior, the motivating factor to our coming to Christ is this. I don't want to die and go to hell. Okay? Fear's not the best motivator, but it's a real good 
motivator. So Noah moved with fear. But what did God tell him that was going to cause such a reaction? Genesis 6, 17, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. You get to chapter 7, he says, For yet seven days, he gave him a time limit there, yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And our text says, God warned Noah of things not yet seen. Do you realize Noah had never seen rain? He'd never built an ark of gopher wood either. But he had never seen rain. Look at Genesis chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. And there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up. And this is going to be important. So hang on to this. There went up a mist from the earth. And watered the whole face of the ground. See we normally think of dew as doing what? It's coming down. Right? It's settling. But Genesis said it just went a mist from the earth and watered the ground. Hang on to that thought. Not only did the thought of God's destroying the earth with a flood cause Noah to fear, but you know what? Noah had a family. Noah had a wife. Now, I'm, I believe I'm the average dad. I won't put myself above average. I don't want to be below average, but I, I sort of think I am the average dad. And I believe that every dad in here would agree with what I'm about to say. I think every dad loves his family. Amen. Especially every Christian dad. And I think every dad, because I told my children, our children, growing up just several times, I would give my life for you. Amen. If it came down to it, my dying would help you live, I'd give it up. Because I love my children that much. And I believe Noah loved his wife. And I believe Noah loved his three sons. And I actually believe Noah loved his daughters-in-law too. He had three sons who were married. He had a wife and three sons and three daughters-in-law. And when God said, I'm going to destroy all life from off the face of the earth, it caused Noah some fear for his family. And when God said it, Noah acted on it. We're going to see that in just a moment. I think sadly today we have a lot of so-called Christians. I don't know if they don't believe God. I don't know if they think that when the Word of God says something, gives us a warning, well, that's for somebody else, that's not for me. Or if they just choose to be in rebellion against God. Here's what I want. I don't care what God wants. Here's what I want, and I'm going to do what I want. I think there's a lot of folks who want to wear the name. I didn't say they were saved necessarily. They want to wear the name Christian, but they want to live like they want to live and not how the Word of God says a child of God ought to live. We who are saved need to have a certain amount of fear today, not so much for ourselves, but for those who don't know Christ as Savior. Amen. It's obvious that many who are lost either don't care enough or they don't know enough or don't have enough sense to fear dying without Jesus Christ as Savior because they're just living for the flesh. They're just living for themselves. They need someone to fear for them and they need someone to care about them and to tell them about Jesus. You know what? I don't fear for the spiritual condition of my children. You know why? They're saved. They both made professions of faith, but they didn't just make professions of faith. They didn't just walk the aisle and take the preacher by the hand and go as an indication of evidence of their salvation, baptized and identified. That's, that's not why. Because they've given evidence in their lives. 
that they know Jesus Christ as Savior. And so I don't fear for them. I'll tell you who I fear for. I fear for children who grow up in homes where Christ is never mentioned. Where a Bible is never opened. Where no Bible exists. I fear for little children who have to grow up in homes where there's perversion and where there's pornography and where there's cursing and where there's swearing and where taking God's name in vain is seen as just normal. It's nothing special. I fear for little children like that. And, you know, the great possibility is what's going to happen is that these children will grow up without Christ and they will produce children without Christ who will produce children without Christ is it any wonder that the scripture says in the book of Isaiah hell hath enlarged herself I believe the worst form of child abuse is to keep children from hearing about their lost condition and their need of Jesus Christ as Savior or if those children are saved to keep them from coming to church and learning about God and learning from the Word of God. God's people, Lord's churches, folks, need to be moved with fear today. So Noah moved with fear. He moved with reference toward God. And he moved with a certain amount of apprehension. And that word has the idea of anxiety or dread or fear. But not only did Noah react with fear, you know what he did? He responded with faith. Now we may react with fear sometimes, but we need to respond with faith. We need to respond with trusting God. Verse 7, back in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. What caused him to move? His faith. He feared, he reverenced God, but he had faith in God. Now what is faith? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're familiar with these verses, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, gives us a description more than a definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word substance has the idea of what sits or stands under, an under, a foundation. Faith is our foundation. Trust in God is our foundation. Matthew Henry said it this way, it is a firm persuasion and expectation that God will perform all that he has promised. Okay? Faith is a persuasion that is so strong it gives the soul hope. That word hope talks about glad expectation. It's not an iffy thing. It's a certainty we just don't know when it's going to happen. And the reason that we can have hope, Sister Sandra and I were just talking about some terrible times that may be coming upon this nation and upon the world. And I'm going to do what I have to do to maybe prepare for those. But you know what? I'm not worried because I trust God. And God can see me through whatever comes. And if God wants to take me up, and if God wants to take all of us up, that's fine with me. And if he wants to do it today, that's fine with me. But listen, it is our faith in God, our trust in God that gives us hope. And faith and hope are inseparable. But faith has to have an object. You can't just have faith in faith. Well, I have faith. Well, hey, what do you have faith in? Well, I have faith in faith. No. Faith has to have an object, and the object of our faith is God. Look at verse 6 in Hebrews 11. But without faith, we're familiar with this verse, but without faith it is impossible to please him, talking about God, it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is the object of our faith. 
Man will let you down. Mankind will let you down. People will make promises, they don't keep them. I'll be there Sunday, preacher. Where we, not long ago, we were out eating. We had a little special deal for one of our members. We were out eating. Some of you remember it. Had a really nice waitress, and she was, really took care of us well. And I invited her to church. She said, I'm going to come. I'm going to be there. I looked for her the next Sunday. She didn't show up. I've looked for her every Sunday since. She hadn't shown up. People will tell you things and they will let you down, but God will never let you down. Amen. What does the sixth chapter of Hebrews say about God? There's something God can't do. It is impossible for God to lie. If you make a promise and you don't keep it, you know why that's called? Called a lie. God doesn't lie. Whatever God says, you can bank on that. You can depend on that. It is the truth. That's what our foundation for hope, that's what our faith is based in, the fact that we have a God who doesn't lie, who can't lie, who won't lie. And so faith is a substance, the foundation of things hoped for, but look at this, it's the evidence of things not seen. Evidence talks about proof, conviction, demonstration, a convincing argument. How does the world know about God? How does the world know about heaven? How does the world know about hell? How does the world know about the reality of a spiritual life? Folks, they've got to see it in us. We've got to be the evidence. Faith is the foundation, but faith is also the evidence. What argument is there in favor of the coming of Jesus Christ? When a child of God goes around and says, well, I, you know, here are my plans for the next year, for the next two years. I hope the Lord doesn't come today and mess up my plans. Don't say that. Okay? We look forward to the coming of Christ. We look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith is to be that convincing argument. What does 2 Corinthians 5, 7 say? We walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18 says, we don't look at things that are seen. Things that are seen are temporal. We look at things that are not seen. Hey, how do you know there's a heaven? Because the word of God tells us, and, and it's God's word, okay? So it's God's promise. And we know there's a heaven, we know there's a hell. But we look at things that are not seen because things that are not seen are spiritual. So many people are living this temporal life. They're just living for the here and now and hope they make it till tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I've forgotten the rest of the words of that song. <laughs> Somebody help me. I don't worry about tomorrow because I know who holds tomorrow. Let me put it that way, okay? God's in control of tomorrow. God's in control of today. God's in control of 10 years from now. If the Lord hadn't come back by that time. God's in control. And the basis for faithful service of God is not our ability. It's God's ability and our dependence upon that ability. I've told you time and time. You're going to get tired of hearing it, but folks, I can't preach. God can. Christ in you can. And that's the basis of what I am trying to do today. Now I'm going to mention this right quickly. There's only one word, one time the word faith is used in the Old Testament. And it's not even talking about Noah or anything like that. It's God's assessment of the Israelites that says there were children in whom is no faith. They were faithless children. The New Testament word for faith is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, is the way we would spell it. You know what it means? Reliance, dependence, persuasion, moral conviction. 
That's what faith is. It's the word used in Hebrews 11:7. It is a firm trust, a reliance that causes us to act in dependence upon the person or the thing in which we have expressed that faith. Years ago, there was a saying that went this way. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. I want to correct that. Folks, God said it. That settles it. Amen. Your believing it or my believing it is inconsequential to whether it's going to happen or not. To whether it's real or not. God said it. If you choose not to believe it, you can deal with the consequences of choosing to reject God, reject Christ. But God said it and that makes it so. Noah acted in dependence upon God and persuasion of the word of God. And his faith produced obedience. What does it say he did by faith? He moved and did what? Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. See, I asked the question at the outset, have you or are you preparing an ark to the saving of your house? Noah trusted God. Now, I've not seen the ark up in Kentucky. I've not been up there. I hear that it's huge. Think about Noah building that alone. Maybe just with the help of his sons. I don't know if there were any help or not. We assume it took 120 years to build it because God said, Man's time on this earth is going to be 120 years. But God said, I'm going to destroy everything on the earth with a flood. And if, Noah, if you and your family want to survive, here's what you've got to do. I'll give you the dimensions of it. I'll tell you how to pitch it with pitch. I'll tell you what kind of wood to use. But if you're going to survive, you better believe me and build an ark. And I'm sure many years ago there was a comedian that did a bid on this, Noah and God talking, and, and Noah said, Well, what's rain? I don't think Noah asked that. God said, I'm going to send rain. Okay. I don't know what it is, but I trust you, Lord. And God said, build an ark. And Noah didn't say, well, what's an ark? No, I said, okay. You give me the dimensions, I'll go to work right away. And Noah didn't question, by the way, how God could flood the whole earth by it raining only 40 days and 40 nights. You know, there are people who say, oh, it couldn't have flooded the earth, raining 40 days and 40 nights. You know what it could have if God wanted to do it that way. Amen. Remember just a couple of Wednesdays ago, we had, we had to cancel our Wednesday night services because of all the rain that fell and streets and intersections were flooding and people were driving off into ditches and breaking down in flooded intersections and, we just, and accidents all over the place because people around here can't drive in the rain. And so we just decided to cancel services for the safety of our members that night. That was just a few hours of rain, okay? It wasn't 40 days and 40 nights. It was just a few hours of rain, and there was some heavy rain. But you see, rain wasn't the only source of the water that fell. Go to Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, the same day were all of the fountains of the great deep broken up. You remember what I told you to hang on to for a few minutes? Water came up from the earth and watered the ground. I believe that's part of the fountains of the deep. Okay. God put it there and he used it and now when he's going to flood the earth because he knew he was going, when he created this earth, he knew he was going to have to do that and so he just put into the earth the mechanism, one of the mechanisms for the flooding of the earth. The fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. 
We'll come back to that in just a moment. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I recently read an article. You may have seen it. It says scientists have discovered a great ocean of water 400 miles beneath the earth's surface, under the earth's crust. It's there right now. How'd it get there? God put it there. The fountains of the great deep, folks. The more you listen to what scientists are saying and the more you read the word of God, and we don't need science to confirm the word of God, but the more you do, you'll say, my goodness, the Bible's right. Amen. God knew this all along. Well, he made it. He ought to know it. He knows how this earth is made. And he put these things in. Windows, what's the windows of heaven? We'll go back to Genesis 1, verses 7 and 8. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. The word is Hashemayim, uplifted waters. God said there's waters on the earth. I'm putting a space between them and the waters above the earth. The windows of heaven, Okay. When they say, oh, we've discovered water on Mars. Okay. So what? God lifted the water up from off the earth. It had to go somewhere. It went up into what we call space. And so there's water on Mars. Doesn't bother me. Read the Bible. Study God's word. And Noah trusted God in these things, though he had never seen them. He trusted God in these things. Where did he learn his faith in God? Who was his Great-grandfather, Enoch, who walked with God and was not because God took him. Enoch had a relationship. Enoch had a fellowship with God, and he walked with God. You know who Noah's grandfather was? Methuselah. What do we remember most about Methuselah? Oldest man to ever live, 969 years, and I believe there were 969 regular years. Amen. I've got some thoughts on that. I don't have time to share them here. He was the oldest man that ever lived. There's something else we ought to remember about Methuselah. The first part of his name, Meth, is the Hebrew word for death. Now what Methuselah means is when he is gone or when he is dead, it will come. What will come? God's judgment. The flood. The year that you can work it out. I have a timeline that I did years ago. Just taking from Adam and going forward, adding the years of Adam's life, and then as each one was born and all, the year that Methuselah died was the year that the flood came. You know what the book of Amos says, what God says in the book of Amos chapter 3 verse 7, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. God tells us what he's going to do. He told Noah what he was going to do through the, his grandfather Methuselah. Noah grew up in a family that walked with God and knew of God and reverenced God and knew that God would send judgment upon the earth one day. And Noah knew God and trusted him and his faithfulness resulted in the saving of his family. Folks, that's the kind of families the Lord's churches need today. We need families where children are brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord knowing the word of God a lot better than they know what the latest video game is or any of that other stuff and who are ready and willing to trust God and to act in obedience to his commands. Noah reacted in fear, but Noah responded in faith 
And then Noah rested in the faithfulness of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Oh, I'm afraid. Trust God. Hey, I've got rest. By faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. God had told Noah to build an ark and his obedience would result in the saving of his family. Genesis chapter 7 verse 13, And the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. Listen to verse 16. Very important. And they went in, went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Amen. Don't read over that and miss that. Who put Noah, who shut Noah and his family in the ark? God did. Before the rains ever began, God shut the door of the ark and sealed Noah and his family in the ark. Now, God did not put pegs on the outside of the ark and tell Noah and his family, hold on as best you can. But you know what? That's what some churches teach about salvation. Trust God to be saved, but hold on as best as you can with your life to stay saved. No, when God puts you in the ark, you're in the ark and you're in safety and God shuts you in. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, as is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Romans chapter 3. I love these verses in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 24 in the first part of verse 25 in Romans chapter 3. Listen to it. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or satisfaction through faith in his blood. 1 Peter 1.5 talks about us who are saved, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Folks, I'm in the ark and God shut me in. Pardon the grammar, but you ain't getting me out. And I can't get myself out. And the devil can't get me out. And the world can't get me out. I am saved, sealed, and secure in Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text says Noah became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You know what you are if you're saved? You're an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Heir talks about a sharer, a possessor, an inheritor. Like Brother Truman mentioned last week, we don't have any righteousness of our own. None. All of our righteousnesses, Isaiah says, God says to Isaiah, are as filthy rags, the rags that were used to wrap the oozing sores of leprosy, which were good for nothing but to be burned. But you know what? We share in the imputed righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that ought to make you go, woo! Right, Brother Truman? <laughs> While he did it, he had a four-woo sermon last week. I at least deserve one, right? <laughs> okay. Ought to thrill you, ought to excite you. And by the way, Noah's faith had one other effect. You know what it was? By the which he condemned the world. Now his act of building the ark, entering in the ark, revealed a difference between Noah and the rest of the world. You know, I just sort of imagine. This is from the book of imagination if you want to look it up. <laughs> I just sort of imagine the whole time Noah's building that ark. People are making fun of him. There's old crazy Noah. Rain? We don't even know what it is. Why are you building this monstrosity for Noah? And when it was time to go in the ark, none of them went in. And Noah and his family went in. And as I said, God shut them in. Noah didn't have to speak against people. 
Noah just had to obey God. That word condemn literally means to judge down. It's, it's, I hate to do this. I'm, I'm not, we talked about this in Sunday school, going to see it in the Greek, but I think this is important. It's the word, it's a, a compound word, katakrino, the kata, means down, and the krino part means properly to distinguish, to decide, by implication to condemn. So Noah's faithfulness to God condemned those who were unfaithful. I don't know. He was a, he's called a preacher of righteousness. I'm sure Noah was preaching, repent, judgment's coming. God's judgment's coming on this earth. That's what we're supposed to preach today. But his faith and his life showed a difference between him and the world. And so we don't have to go around condemning the lost world, folks. They know that something's not right in their lives. We just need to show them Christ, show them what Jesus has done in our lives, warn them of hell. I believe you ought to warn people of hell. Hell's real. Hell's eternal. You don't get out of it. You don't get prayed out of it. You don't spend a sentence there and, and get out. I mean, you once you go to hell, you're in hell. That's it. It's over. No choice, no chance to be saved after that. Amen. We need to warn people about that. All we have to do, all we need to do today, especially live witness for Christ, but also live for Christ. And let the difference between godliness and ungodliness be revealed just by our living. It's sad when God's people live like the world. Well, we're going to close. Our text says Noah obeyed God and built an ark to the saving of his family. So the question is, are you building an ark? Have you built an ark to the saving of your family? I heard of a man that was dying and he was concerned about the spiritual condition of his children. And he would ask, how about, how about Joe? Is he in? And they didn't name another child. Are they in? And his family couldn't understand what he was talking about. He was talking about, are they in the ark? Are they in Christ? See, Jesus, the ark is an Old Testament type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in the ark? Are you in Christ? Have you ever turned to God and, and just agreed with God? I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I deserve hell. And then ask God to save you, trusting the shed blood of Jesus and that alone. If you've not done that, you're not in the ark. And you're in danger of happening to you. What happened to these other people? After hearing this message, I know that some might be tempted to say, well, that's for young people who are just starting their families. I beg your pardon. Read Noah's lineage again. Enoch walked with God and was not. Methuselah, when he is dead, it will come. Where did Noah learn his faith in God? He learned it from his father and from his grandfather and from his great-grandfather. He learned it in his family. We don't just need parents who will bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We need grandparents that will bring up their grandchildren that night. We need great-grandparents that will bring their grandchildren up that way. We need aunts. We need uncles. We need friends. We need neighbors. We need cousins who will stand up, stand up for God and for Jesus in these last times, folks. There are things not seen as yet that are coming. And though we may fear, we need to act in faith and obey God. Well, what do I need to do? Well, number one, do your best. First of all, to make sure that you and your family are in the ark, are in Jesus Christ. I hope you can have the testimony that I said just a moment ago about my children. I know they're saved. I know they're going to heaven. I thank God for that. 
Warn your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors of the wrath to come. Live a life that is consistent with what you profess. When you say I'm saved and you live like you're lost, there's a word for that. You don't hear it anymore in churches, but it's called hypocrite. Live what you profess to believe daily. Not just on Sunday, but daily. And here's the final thing. When the rain begins to fall, trust God. I don't know any heart. Only God knows hearts. There may be someone here today who doesn't know Christ as Savior. There may be somebody watching by live stream that doesn't know Christ as Savior. I'm warning you. I'm telling you, like God told Noah, there's judgment coming. You need to get in. You need to get in Christ. You need to be saved today. You need to be saved right now. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. Nobody can guarantee me they can leave this building and get to wherever they intend to go alive. So I preach right can. No, you can't. What did David say? There's but a step between me and death. I can't guarantee you I can walk right over here and still be alive. Say, now, preacher, that's ridiculous. No. You realize that in those two steps, I could have a massive heart attack and drop dead where I stand. We take life for granted all too much, folks. You need to be ready. We get ready to live. We need to be prepared to die also. And that comes by knowing Christ the Savior. So if you're lost, please. I'm not condemning you. I'm not talking down to you. I'm begging you. Accept Christ as your Savior today. I don't want you to go to hell and God doesn't either. Trust Christ. For those of us who are saved, folks, we better get ready. In the very beginning of this nation, there was a religious persecution against folks like us and others. I believe it could come back very soon. Be ready to stand. Be ready to live. Be ready to pay the price. But trust God when the rain starts falling.